welcome to that podcast episode 18. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And how are you doing this week, Bo? Oh, I'm doing all right. I have a bunch of uh, bunch of podcast updates for us. We got, uh, I think, uh, at last episode I was talking about the new review site. Yes, my uh, podcast my reviews. Podcast. Yeah, so I, I started to have some issues with that because I hadn't seen any come in and I had seen someone tweet that they had left us a review and it just kept not coming, not coming. And um, so I ended up writing them and their their site was pretty confusing. Uh, but the, the problem was that the free account that we had, it only does a check once a month and it doesn't give you any indication as to when it last ran the checks and when the next check is coming. So it, it was kind of nice. I got had a chance to talk to them a little bit and, and hear about that. So I upgraded us now so we get a an update once a week so hopefully we'll get some more reviews in the next couple of weeks because people are listening to this and we're asking for reviews and they're going to send us reviews yeah especially more five-star reviews awesome um but uh tiny drop test two uh this is the person that i met at php benelux uh he left the review uh i listened since episode four and this podcast keeps getting better. Bo and Dave casually talk about PHP, but deviate to other tech topics, programming languages, and even their private lives. Great show. So thank you very much for that review. That's awesome to be able to uh, get some good feedback from people. Yeah, thank you. Like. Um, also, Eric Barnes posted a side-by-side uh, picture of our playlist in iTunes next to uh, Friends, one of the Friends seasons. Uh, along with the caption, further proof that developers think Friends is greater than Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, so someone has picked up on our uh, Friends-ish naming scheme for our episode. I thought that was pretty funny. Did you did you happen to see that tweet? I did, yes. And I, I think I'd seen the tweets leading up to it. I think he, I can't remember who he was arguing with, but uh, he was on the Friends side and somebody else was on the Seinfeld side. And uh, he, nice. he tweeted that <laughs> offhand. Yeah. Cool. So that was pretty neat. Um, I also got a, a ping back from, uh, so I think I had said six days sad uh, was the person. I think that was the, the tweet name that I had said. And he corrected me and it's actually six days ad because uh, apparently he's in a band called six days right. and uh, all of the band members have uh, six days ad and six days, whatever. So um, that was just part of his, his name. So it isn't six days uh, or it's not six sad day, which I think I even said that too. <laughs> uh, so he corrected me and wanted me to know that was a band. Um, and also he wanted to let us know that the project hub stuff, he didn't want to make it sound like uh, he'd created that concept. Uh, he actually wanted to make sure that uh, Brad Frost got credit for that. Okay. Um, so that that uh, Project Hub uh, style thing. Did you end up ever looking at that? Yeah, I did take a look. I quite, I quite liked it. It's a nice idea. Yeah, it seemed like a really simple approach to keeping track of a project. So mm. I might have to try that on an upcoming project. So, um, so but yeah, so there's uh, if you want to check out their band, they're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash six days, six days sober, I think is what it is. So anyway, it seemed like kind of cool if you're into music and you want to check out something new, you might want to check out their band. Um, and we also uh, gave, gave the update about uh, Luke Stokes, former boss, being Dave, Dave, Dave Ramsey. Um, he actually jumped in on that conversation and included a, a link to a blog post that he wrote when he quit that job. So uh, we'll make sure to include that in the um, in the show notes. But I think it was something along the lines of uh, the the leaving the best job I've ever had or something. So I thought that was kind of nice that he has, he has a little more backstory for that whole uh, thing. If anyone's interested in looking at that. Yeah. Um, I also noticed, and you, you have to tell me if I'm wrong or not. It looks like you edited 
me saying it's a wrap into the last episode. Did you did you do that? Uh, I guess I did. Um, so yeah. <laughs> you, you, uh, once we went off the air, you said that you'd broken your streak, and it was the yeah. first time you hadn't said it. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, I mean, I was I was not going to bother because it took quite a lot of effort to uh, to cut the last track because of a lot of latency and uh, mm. a little bit too much gain on my mic. But um, you you. You actually kind of sounded really quiet at the end. You kind of just went. He said, "I think he said thanks really quietly." And <laughs> it, it did seem to just leave it hanging, like. Uh, and I just thought I'd just quickly uh, cut it back in. Nice. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I I I was laughing to myself when I heard that. I'm like, I know I didn't say that. I was curious to hear how it was going to play out, and I was like, huh, looks like he he got a little creative with the editing. Yeah, and, yeah. So, so, so yeah, this, it's actually quite easy to uh, to cut something in there because. Because we start playing the outro music, mm-hmm. you know, there's even just just splice a quick uh, audio track in there. There's any change in the your voice, uh, any slight change, any difference, you know, just because the recordings, it doesn't. It's not easy to tell because the music's already playing. So, yeah. So yeah, we're we're up to episode eighteen now. This is eighteen, and that was something that I don't even know why I did it the first time, but I I just got into that weird little pattern and it. You just came really naturally, and yeah. then it felt really unnatural uh, at the end of the last episode when I didn't say it, and so I'm glad you edited it in. <laughs> well, I've got to say something to I finish the show. I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also wanted to go back to the last episode because it was, I've actually listened to it twice now, to or maybe three times. Um, we listened to it once with Beck down here painting, um, and then we went to Milwaukee and we listened to it. And something that struck me as being really interesting was that I had made the comment that I could lose my gig at any point. And that actually happened less than a week later. I know. <laughs> less than a week later, I got pulled off. So it's been interesting listening to this episode where we're talking about these things and how that actually sort of happened and a little prophetic in our episode. So I wanted to circle back to that and just mention that... Uh, that that actually that 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 caught me by surprise. Yeah, and we need to do more uh, touching of wood or that kind of thing when we say things like that from now on. Okay, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's not go predicting things on the podcast. Well, bad things yeah. anyway. Let's let's stick to good things. Yeah, good things are good. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, um, both Beck and I wanted to know how was Cinderella. You know what? Um, I, I've almost forgotten. It seems like ages ago. I do know that there wasn't any. Well, there weren't any moments where she was really scared or anything like that, because that's one thing we discussed on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I, I think both our children have sort of developing habits where they get anxious up when they're watching TV and things, uh, or particular things on TV, or particular things that happen during TV shows and movies. As right. far as I know, there wasn't any of that. Uh, she was really good. She really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and Rebecca really enjoyed it as well. Um, and so did my mum. They went with my mum. Uh, so oh. yeah, uh, I can't remember what was said, uh, or what, or much about what was said, but uh, I know they really enjoyed it. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, we we were looking recently at trying to go to a movie again in the theater, and you know if if it's still out or if they have like a bargain theater now or something, uh, that that would definitely be on the list for us to go check out. So yeah, I think um, thanks, thanks for who plays the uh, stepmother. You know, I didn't actually pay much attention to the, uh, the Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, I think. Kate. Okay, and I, she, uh, I think Rebecca said she's really good. I mean, uh, 
if if there were any characters that were going to make uh, Luke feel anxious or anything, I think it was with her. Uh, but yeah. I don't know how much of her nastiness is uh, subtle and devious, or so subtle and mm-hmm. devious that Luke might not notice as much, if yeah. you see what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah. Cool. And um, since the last episode, a bunch of Star Wars stuff has happened. Yeah, um, lots, lots of exciting stuff. Yeah. But um, on a more personal level, um, I don't remember if we'd actually let Luke watch any of the, the movies at that point. But since then, he's watched all but Revenge of the Sith. Awesome. <laughs> we uh, we, we kind of gave in. And once we gave in, it sort of just tumbled downhill very quickly. Um, I, I fast forward a couple of the scenes. Uh, but for the most part, he, he enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I, I, I gave in and did not bother with machete order yep uh once once we did empire i was considering skipping um phantom menace but i realized that he would probably really enjoy the pod racing <laughs> and uh i think the kicker was um just before we were trying to figure out if we were going to put in attack of the clones or phantom menace i asked him i said so luke who's luke skywalker and he kind of kind of knew and i said who's han solo and he just kind of looked at me blankly <laughs> and said, you know he knew who darth vader was of course but he didn't yeah. re- like i realized that he's just going to enjoy it and it doesn't matter he's not at a point where he's going to be able to understand story arcs or he isn't going to care so i thought you know what he he would he's going to enjoy the padre scene and some of the other stuff he he liked uh darth maul's double lightsaber and of course there, there was some who, cool stuff in there who doesn't? Enjoyed, so yeah so we we didn't do machete order and we sk- ended up skipping revenge of the sith just because i couldn't remember like it seemed like it was gonna be a much darker uh movie and i thought maybe most of it we would end up fast forwarding through um just because there was a lot it's just i just remember that one being far more intense than the others yeah i mean definitely the final scenes are uh oh yeah. sorry the final uh, lightsaber battle would be quite yeah quite intense for a four-year-old anyway but yeah yeah yeah, I mean, just going on that about the characters and things, I think we're the same. I've told you before that Evie only seems to care about Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Um, Rowan can recognize some people. Um, he recognizes Han Solo in Lego form, um, not necessarily in uh, human form, as it were. Uh, so yeah. from Star Wars Lego, and I think I've got a, a Star Wars Lego T-shirt with Han Solo on, so he recognizes Han Solo from that. Uh, he recognizes Chewbacca, of course. Um, yeah. And in uh, one of the early episodes of Star Wars Rebels, there's quite a few Wookiees, and mm-hmm. he was shouting, look at all the Chewbacca's, look at all the Chewbacca's <laughs> things. Uh, nice. Uh, we finished watching Star Wars Rebels, um, mm-hmm. and that was quite cool. The finale was quite cool. Um, obviously, um, we haven't For season watched... season one? Yeah, season one. That's um, mm-hmm. And we've actually started re-watching them from the beginning again. Um, I haven't put the films on anymore for the kids, uh, just because, like I said before, they kind of like they started off interested, but quickly waned, and they started playing with the toys and stuff. So it was only me watching it at that point. But um, just on that, I was actually have you heard of the despecialized editions? Yeah, I think so. It's yeah. where people make their own cuts to remove stuff from them. Yeah, I mean, basically, the, well, despecialize is the is the the sort of the coin they use, but the the are a fan mm. edit, and uh, I think I was wondering about showing the kids those. I don't know, because mm. uh, it I've um, I've read quite a lot about them, and they're quite exciting. 
Um, they're a fan preservation thing uh, in terms of licensing and stuff. They're, they should only be used by people who own the originals and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, we they don't uh, support or promote piracy of any kind. But they're um, mm-hmm. so they're basically the the sourced from a few different sources. They take the 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 most recent Blu-rays. They take the um, in two thousand and six they released their DVD a remastered DVDs, and on a bonus disc there was a bon- for each film there was a bonus disc. And the bonus disc was an unaltered or as close to unaltered as you could get a copy of each of the films. Um, and that was taken from a, a laser disc, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was a couple of other things. Somebody had captured the 1997 special edition uh, from a, a high definition TV broadcast mm. and the 2004 DVD version. And they've caught him like and other things as well. Some uh, they've captured some scenes from uh, film cells, uh, things like that. It's really cool, and uh, they've kind of mm. like stitched it all back together, changing bits here and there that they didn't like or that nobody liked. Mm. Uh, they've remastered it, they've recolored it, and they've done the recoloring looks really good in places. It's they've done it shot by shot, so literally frame by frame color touch-ups and all this kind of stuff and it, mm-hmm. some of it looks really good um i'll put the link in the show notes but there's uh the guy who made it or started the project anyway he has a uh an album on google plus showing all the different scenes and showing a picture of the uh different sources and what they ended up with by using the different sources and uh some of them are quite interesting uh, there's a lot to get through. Uh, a couple, mm. a couple that come to mind was um, in Moss Eisley in the cantina in Moss Eisley. The uh, there was like a one of the aliens was like a a wolf, like a like a wolf man, and uh, mm. they got rid of him altogether in the uh, special editions. I don't mm. know. I don't mm. know why. I think they just tried to make a few characters look a bit better, but they've, yeah. they've put him back in the despecialized edition. <laughs> but uh, in one particular shot, he's looking at another alien, and um, so in the actual frames, they've actually taken the left-hand side of the frame from the special edition Blu-ray DVD, and then taken the right-hand side of the frame from the 2006 bonus DVDs, and put them back together, and it looks really good, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the amount of effort they've gone into these kind of things. And then um, yeah. things like the uh, censored scenes are back in when, because like, there's a few times when they kind of like tried to make it a little bit more kid-friendly where people people getting blaster shots in the, the gut or something, they kind of like just <laughs> cut those out completely. Uh, they're back in. Mm-hmm. And all the other cool stuff that either got taken out or got, you know, I mean, hand shooting first is the, is the, yeah. the classic thing that has to be back in there. Uh, they're really cool, and it's uh, definitely worth looking if you're into that kind of thing. I'd, I'd take a look at them. Cool. Well, I'm I'm afraid we could talk about Star Wars for another 45 minutes if we don't stop now. So we might maybe maybe the conversation will swing back in that direction later, but maybe we should move on now. Yeah, <laughs> we'll swing back around if we need to. Yeah, yeah. So how's um, have you done anything interesting with work in the last? 
week or two? Uh, well, before I get to work, I was going to mention that I've started using um, Google Inbox. Have you tried it at all? Hmm. No, I haven't, actually. So um, I think I put myself down. I tried to get an invite when it first got announced and things. And it finally, an invitation finally came through, and I thought I'd give it a try. And it is nice. It's a very nice interface. Um, mm-hmm. And because I, I've, I, I've accidentally stumbled into doing Inbox Zero because of it, really. Um, <laughs> it is such a nice interface that, and I think to get the most of it, the idea is you run Inbox Zero. Mm-hmm. And, and that was kind of hard for me. Uh, but I thought if I'm going to give it a shot, I should really, I'll have to try the Inbox Zero thing. So I literally select all archive my inbox, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there was thousands. I, I, I'm the kind of guy who has everything in his inbox and, you know, uh, just ignored the stuff, the clutter, if you like. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually quite, it's working out really well. I'm kind of, I kind of like it. Um, just the whole thing of, I mean, it's actually, you don't really archive things in the inbox. You, you mark them as done. So mm-hmm. when I get an email in from somebody, I fire off a reply and then I mark it as done. If they reply back, it obviously comes back into my inbox and it's there to be marked done again or things like that. But it's it's kind of cool and it's keeping my inbox nice and slim. It's really quick to set reminders. Um, so your reminders appear in your email, inbox just like an email, really. Mm-hmm. You can snooze emails, uh, which is really nice. So an email comes in, you don't want to deal with it today. You're going to say snooze till tomorrow and it'll come back into your inbox as though it was a new email the next day uh, and cool. i think you can get plugins for gmail to do that but this is just right in there right um in. yeah there are some frustrating things um i don't know if i don't know why the the features that just aren't there yet um i don't for example i don't do a lot of formatting uh in emails most of my emails would work just as well in plain text as they do in, in, in nice fonts and things but occasionally i'm if i'm copying uh and pasting code samples or, or sometimes even output from logs or something, I quite often just select that text and set it to a fixed width font mm-hmm. just for convenience for the other person. Uh, and there's nothing like that in Inbox, mm. uh, which is kind of annoying. Uh, so I have to switch back to Gmail to write that particular email. Uh, yeah. And there's a couple of other things that I didn't uh, that I felt like I was missing from Gmail. Uh, but other than that, I'm enjoying it, and I have switched completely. I rang them, I used them side by side, as in I had two tabs open for quite a while. But I switched over completely now, and uh, yeah, it's cool. You should check it out. Yeah, so I've actually been using Mailbox. Okay, which is I think that's the Dropbox application. Yeah, and I believe uh, uh, it might have been some source of inspiration. I think for Inbox, from what some people yeah. have said. Yeah. And I've been really happy with that. So I've been, I've, I had already been trying to do some inbox zero things. Um, but this definitely makes it a lot easier because you're able to, you know, the, the snooze thing is the thing that I think is the best. It's really, uh, it's really easy to archive stuff if you're not going to respond to it. Um, like I'll just like any like mailing lists or whatever, if I'm not going to read it, I just archive it right away. Uh, but the snooze stuff is pretty nice. You can snooze it till later today, tonight, sometime this weekend. There's like a bunch of preset stuff that it that it has set up. So, um, but it just this weekend or just last week, um, I sent out a tweet that uh, twice last week I had uh, a bunch of my snoozed email come back up, and a bunch of other random email show up in my inbox overnight. 
and I'll have re I received two different communications at like 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. that were pretty important, uh, like job hunt style emails that it would have been really nice to get them right away in the morning that because I didn't go through my inbox right away in the morning with 40 or 50 hundred emails, I didn't notice them until that night. Um, so I've, I've been pretty good at uh, basically getting to inbox zero by the end of the day. Um, but I'm realizing that I need to do a better job of checking in the morning too, uh, just to get to that state to make sure there's not at least make sure there's nothing in there that's important that I'm missing. Um, so anyway, I, I, I sent that mess. I sent that tweet out and a couple of people, I think code rabbi was one who said, why would you do those distracting things in the morning? Um, so he, he suggested doing that, uh, like two hours after you start work or whatever, just don't wait until the end of the day. Like I had been to making sure I went through everything. Yeah. Um, because that's one of the getting thing done sort of things is don't do anything distracting in the morning and make sure you start working right away um, so that you aren't distracted. Because otherwise, you know, it's really easy for me to sit down and start with going through my email and four hours will pass <laughs> and I won't, I won't have gotten any, any actual work done. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, I, like I say, I'm, I'm pretty much down at zero most of the time and I, mm -hmm. I don't get that much mail anymore. I've, I've made an effort to, um, make sure I unsubscribe to a lot of things and, you know, keep on top of that kind of thing to make sure mm -hmm. the mail that is coming in is either something I, I want to, I probably want to deal with, or I can probably just archive or snooze and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, I, it's not a big deal for me at the minute. I'm, it's more a case of it was, I I never got too much email that it was hard for me to deal with. It was more a case of having the things that I do want to deal with more presentable for me in inbox. Uh, yeah, um, I've I've also made a bit more of an effort to learn the um, keyboard uh, shortcuts for inbox. I mean, Gmail has lots of them as well, and. Uh, I'm sure they're just equally mm -hmm. as good, but I just never really got round to uh, to learning them and making making the effort to do that. So cool. I've also um just on the topic of that kind of I also use a uh, Google Keep. Um, I found I mean it's basically just a really basic note taking app, but I found it really good for a lot of quick to dos. Um, I just basically have one checklist on there. Um, is it what project? What part? What product is that? Uh, Google Keep. Google Keep. K okay. K double E P. Um, it's just a note taking app. Um, I think I. I mean, I think I started using it because I installed. I put the widget on my phone, so the widget's there, which just means there's a checklist on one of the sort of um, desktops of my phone, if you like. Mm -hmm. So to get to my checklist, I'm literally swiping right from my phone home screen, and I could check things off immediately. Um, and that's working really well for me. It's such a simple thing, but uh, just thought I'd mention it. Cool. Yeah, I've tried several to-do app type things, and I, none of them have stuck with me longer than maybe a month or two before I forget about them or stop maintaining them. Um, I, I was a big user of Remember the Milk for a long time, mm. which was pretty nice app. But you know, there, there there's a <laughs> We're talking a lot about Gmail things and productivity with Gmail. I, I've really started to dislike Google products and Google in general just because about the time I get something the way I like it, they change it. They change it in a very unfriendly way. Hmm. Um, and one of the things was used to be able to have the, the widgets in Gmail. And I think you still can to some extent, but 
used to be that you could have them on the left and on the right of your screen so you could have a lot of stuff up all the time right now like like a bunch of my uh to do lap uh, the to do stuff remember the milk suddenly was like way down at the bottom of the left hand column and i never saw it anymore um so they, they've done a bunch of things like that that just sort of makes me not want to buy into especially the gmail web app because it it can change at any point for any reason <laughs> yeah and a lot of people can be upset about it and it doesn't matter yeah so they 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 do what they want to so i, I haven't invested too much in gmail lately as far as trying to work within gmail itself yeah well i mean to, you... to be honest i don't um i don't really customize anything like that mm -hmm. i don't like google in terms of the way mm -hmm the company that they're becoming mm -hmm. but i have to admit that most of their apps are really good um and gmail is really good there's yeah there's no doubt about that mm -hmm. uh, so yeah i'm happy to stick with it for now um it does worry mm -hmm. me that sometimes you know you start to use all these products and you're leaning on one company that can be doing this i mean selling your data is bad enough as you know just <laughs> google having all of the data that they have on us is a little bit scary yeah. but it's a price I'm willing to pay at the minute uh, mm -hmm. to not have to manage that stuff for myself for a start. So, yeah, yeah. The Google Apps. I have probably five or six different Google Apps accounts set up for various companies and organizations and whatnot. And it was really great when it was free. Now it's starting to be more expensive. I think it's five dollars per seat, which still isn't a lot if you start looking around at other mail host providers. Given all the stuff that gmail does for you like uh, you know host the mail lets you manage accounts more easily but it would be nice if there was another more independent game in town that you yeah. could go play but there really is nothing even remotely as convenient and easy to use as gmail no i mean in the, and some of the other products as well i mean google docs i mean mm -hmm. i don't know what the microsoft offerings like i don't know of any others i'm sure there are but google docs is just really good uh, mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to keep using it, even though, like I say, means Google have access to goodness knows what. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in terms of actual work, um, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I, I talked about uh, the responsive web design and starting to learn about that and implement that to make sure that uh, we don't lose uh, Google rankings, particularly for mobile search results. Mm -hmm. So those Google updates went live. Uh, today or yesterday and as far as i know uh, our site was mobile friendly and indexed all in good time so our rankings won't have been affected um i learned quite a lot doing the sort of quick smash and grab job i did of uh, making a responsive uh, layout and everything for our site um, it ended up being about a thousand lines of css with just just one breakpoint uh, just for specifically for mobile devices uh, tablets will still get the usual rendering, the desktop version, uh, mm -hmm. and it's a start. There's definitely work to be done there to try and use it, look at a few different devices and optimize for those, and add some more breakpoints and things. But in general, I think I did an okay job. Um, if I could sum it up, it would be um, sort of float non width, hundred um, percent to everything <laughs> is what what I felt <laughs> like I was doing. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, um, so it's done. Uh, yeah, I have learned something quite, cool. quite, 
something I should have learned maybe five or six years ago. I don't know how 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 old is that kind of thing now? Hmm. I don't. I yeah. I don't have any idea. But yeah, I think it's. I I remember it was back when I first started seeing it more back when the first iPhones came out. Right. So however long ago that was, I guess that was maybe six seven years ago. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm quite pleased that that's gone and done. Um, cool. In the last week or so, I've been well. I've, I've been working on this for a long time. We're we're sort of in the process of um, preparing to move our uh, the hosting of the site to Amazon, uh, to Amazon Web Services. Now, um, the reason I chose Amazon was because of the flexibility it offers. I'm familiar with it, and the kind of uh, redundancy features that it offers out of the box that it manages for you. Um, I'm more than comfortable in managing database servers and web servers on something like DigitalOcean because uh, price-wise, you know, you can't beat something like DigitalOcean uh, with the VPSs there. They're really cheap, but you just don't get the same kind of redundancy features that you get on Amazon or that I'm aware of, such as the um, the DNS, the Route 53 DNS service, mm-hmm. which then instantly connects to their load balancers, which will load balance traffic over to day well. Does it do over data centers or at least over their re? Hang on, they have regions. regions. Is yeah. it regions? Yeah, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then um, they have a managed uh, MySQL, a uh, hosted MySQL service, which does master master replication for you to a different region um, or availability zone, isn't it? Yeah, to a different availability yeah. zone. And all these kinds of things. So we're probably going to end up paying a bit, a bit more than we would with something like DigitalOcean. We'll have a bit more complicated setup than we would with DigitalOcean or some, or some other VPS provider. But we are going to have a fairly redundant setup with minimal operations for me to take care of on that front, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I've, been, uh, I've got an ex-colleague of mine. He's doing some contracting for us. We're fully we're using cloud formation to sort of set up our our estate, as he calls it. <laughs> uh, and it's pretty much done now. We've just been doing some uh, load testing and things like that, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we've got loads of automation in place, and that's been quite interesting. I mentioned Jenkins on the last episode. We have Jenkins and Ansible working nicely together to uh, provision new instances as they come up and things like that. And uh, it's looking really good. I'm quite pleased with it. I just need to... Uh, put the few final touches on now and then sort of um, start planning for a, a migration, which will be probably mean a, maybe an hour or two of downtime, um, which I'll do in the early hours of the morning to avoid disrupting users. Uh, but that's basically just to migrate the database. We could we could try and do something, you know, um, I think people do things like set up a, a master-slave replication, you know, from the existing DB to an Amazon instance, and then then stop, let the mm-hmm. slave catch up, and then switch the slave to master and things like that. But I think we're just going to skip that kind of uh, complexity and just uh, take one for the team and uh, take the site offline for an hour or two. But yeah, I'm just, that's got to be planned. Um, obviously, something like that needs mm-hmm. to be planned. You can't just do it willy-nilly. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Just Because yeah. uh, at the minute we're on, um, we have dedicated servers, uh, but it's all managed hosting, so kind of reliant on the hosting company to uh, change things for me. Uh, if I want to 
try new technology. I'd need to speak to them about it. And it's kind of difficult for me. I want the freedom to do the things I want to do and make changes I want to make without having to uh, negotiate things and change things and and all these other things that come with uh, using something like a, a infrastructure as a service, you know, scaling's up to me and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. That's what I've been working on recently. Cool. How about you? Is it interesting? Uh, actually, something Amazon-related. Um, I got a notice that one of my uh, EC2 instances was on a host that was going to be retired. So I needed to do a forced migration mm. of one of my instances. Um, and all of that is just way more involved than I like to be anymore. Like, it wasn't even that bad, but I still lost probably two or three hours just trying to uh, figure out I guess I needed to create an AMI and then I had to terminate or not terminate, but shut down the instance that was there for that to happen so that it could create the image. Um, I had to move the elastic IP. So I mean, all like, I guess it went really well. Like, cause I, I was back up again in probably a half hour after I started to do it, but it was like, it was two hours of my day that I wasn't really wanting to spend doing that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, I I feel like if you're in it all the time, like if you're talking about planning this and working on this and actively working in it daily, um, at least for a couple of hours to figure out how all this stuff is going to work, I can see how that would be really nice. But I don't get to do that often enough that every time I go back to it, it's like starting over again. And I have that same problem with Puppet. I have that same problem with Ansible. Like I can get really deep into these things and figure out exactly how my automation is going to work, but then I don't look at it again for six months, and then I practically have to start over again, <laughs> you know, because I don't remember why all the pieces are the way they are, and I I don't know I I feel like I'm getting too old for playing those kinds of games just willy nilly, you know, because I I probably have a dozen hosts that I manage really poorly. Uh, <laughs> because I, I'm not paying attention to them daily, you know. Um, some of them have, like, auto-update cycles to make sure they get all the security patches and everything, but I'm definitely not I'm not paying enough attention to it that I feel comfortable with the fact that I have all these hosts out mm. there. There's a, a bunch of them that are running Ubuntu, I think it's 8.04, whatever the one before the, the current LTS was, um, which, you know, those aren't supported anymore, and... Yeah. Um, well, that'd be that'd, I don't be, know. that'd be three or four LTSs back with eight. Yeah, yeah. Twelve. So fourteen oh four, twelve oh four, ten oh four, eight oh four. I think. Okay. Yeah, they, I think they're eight oh four. Two of them are eight oh four, and that was because. Um, why was that? I think I I installed them right before, the ten oh four release came out, um, and so I had these two servers that I've set up that, um, I decided to use. Uh, how which one is it? It's uh, it's, it's Cloudmin or Virtualmin. I think there's two of them that are sort of related. Because uh, I wanted something similar to CPanel, but I didn't want to have to pay for CPanel because CPanel was like eight hundred dollars a year. Yeah. Um, and all of these websites that I'm hosting are pretty, pretty minor. But I still wanted to have it easy to set up these new hosts, and I didn't want to have to go in and set up bind for each individual zone. I didn't want to have to go in and set up FTP users because, you know, FTP was a thing back then. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was an easier way to go. But now I have all these 
hosts and all these websites that are stuck on this old hardware that I, I don't have the time to, to move them all. I'm not getting paid for any of these. A lot of them are, you know, websites for my family, um, a bunch of uh, WordPress websites for either friends or family. And I don't know, I, I kind of just want to say, oops, they're all gone. Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, you know, someday that's going to happen. Like if those boxes go down and they don't come up again, like I'm sure I'll, I, I have backups automated on both of them, but at a certain point, it's not worth it to turn it back on for me. So yeah. I don't know. I, no, I get that completely. I mean, I'm the same with it. I manage a few WordPress installations of people. Mm-hmm. I, I actually have one I put on a shared hosting um, just so I could always just hand over the shared hosting account to the other person and say, yeah. find somebody else to manage it for you. Uh, but to be honest, mm-hmm. that's as much trouble as having a $5 DPS on DigitalOcean anyway, just because the performance yeah. is that bad sometimes on the shared hosting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I get that totally. I mean, the difference here is that all this effort I'm putting in for now is for, you know, this is where I make my money. This is for our, it's a multi-million pound business that is operating on this infrastructure. So maintaining yeah. this stuff is going to be something that has to be done anyway. So, you know, mm-hmm. as, uh, it, I'm in there all the time and I will be in there all the time. So it's not nothing to worry about from our point of view. I mean, at the mm-hmm. minute now, like I said, we're we're doing load testing, and that's kind of hard thing to do. Um, just trying to work out, you know, what we think is a reasonable estimate of current production traffic, um, or at least how that that plays out, you know, because I can look at how many requests per second we do, but you know, you actually have to go into quite a lot of detail to work out what those requests are doing. You know, there's a very, the big difference between doing a set conducting a search on our site to, you know, listing your inbox and. Just those kind of things are kind of hard to appreciate, and then you know replicate on a on a on a new environment to test the load and things, and then we're doing yeah. we're doing things like trying uh, four medium servers versus two large servers, and you know that kind of thing to see how them scale out, scale up, uh, just to see how it affects things, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, but uh, I, I'm a bit getting a bit antsy now. I want to get it get uh, the ball rolling, as it were. So. Mm-hmm. It is kind of nice, though. I mean, we don't we don't intend on using things like the auto scaling for now, but we are fully geared up for that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, if a particular metric fires something off, uh, the auto scaling group will bring up another server. That server will actually ping Jenkins, uh, and Jenkins will use Ansible to provision it with anything it needs, including the latest version of the code, configure it. And then once it's uh, responded properly to the health check, then the load balancers will put it back into put it into the pool and start serving requests. So, yeah. So that's an like I know that you were talking last time about using Jenkins as a cron of sorts. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. But you're you're using it. You're sending it instructions to have it build servers. Yeah. So how we do it is um, we build AMIs. Now, the AMI includes all the infrastructure type, all the services, so PHP, uh, uh, Apache, whatever we need, is built Mm -hmm. into the AMI. But the actual, I don't want to go ahead and do the, now some shops, when they they release a new version of the code, they will bake a whole new AMI and do, I think it's called blue-green deployments, you know, so they'd bring up instances with the new AMI that has the code on them. I don't want to do that. I'd rather have the AMI be, you know, the server, and then the code gets put on after the fact. 
Mm-hmm. So when the auto-scaling group brings up a server that has all the server software on, including virtual host setup in Apache and things, but then when it comes up, it actually hits a, a URL that's on Jenkins with its IP address, and then Jenkins fires a job that uses Ansible, says Ansible with this IP address, so this host, uh, configure, which basically uh, puts things like the the secrets for the app onto the box. So, you know, Mm -hmm. API keys, things like that. And then it does a deploy as well, so it deploys the latest uh, build from the master branch onto the app. And that's it, yeah. Hmm. I could have it... I could have it also provision the software as well, um, just in case anything's updated or anything that since you know if the AMI is maybe getting a bit old and stale, but it's easier in that case just to build the AMI again and and reset that. So, so the the Ansible configuration is isn't setting up the host as much as just setting the software in place. Well, it, your software, it does both. I mean, it just doesn't do that on the fly when new instances come up. Okay. So I could have, if we wanted to, we could have the uh, AMI of the Ubuntu 14.04 release. And the um, auto-scaling group could launch that ping Jenkins. uh, And then Jenkins would provision all of the software. But that would include downloading, you know, all Mm. the the apps and libs uh, that we need. So the minute we have all the apps and libs baked in, to the AMI, and we just deploy our code. But when we build the AMI, I use Ansible for that as well. So Ansible has all the provisioning stuff ready to do, and when I build an AMI, Ansible actually goes away to EC2, says, knock me up an instance, then it provisions that instance, and then it says tells AWS to uh, make an AMI from that instance. Does that, mm, make, that okay. makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, most of this is from Steve. I mean, I... I've done a fair bit of stuff with AWS before, but it's never been. I've never gone right down the auto automation route. Whereas uh, Steve, this is his kind of new thing. When I worked with him, he was um, he was a front end engineer mostly. Well, I mean, he was always full stack, but most of his day to day stuff was on the front end. Uh, we worked well. We worked well together because uh, I was writing the back end APIs for his front end JavaScript. Uh, which is why I got in touch with him because we'd worked well together before and he was contracting. Uh, but now mm. he does this kind of thing as much as he can. It's what he enjoys. So, yeah, it's worked out really well for us. Cool. So uh, as far as the rest of my work, um, I kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier. So I haven't had a whole lot of work since our last recording. Um, my work has been trying to find uh, new work, which has been it's been more stressful for the last two weeks, I would say, than than I had hoped March or April would be. Yeah. How's it going? Uh, it's, it's been going all right. I've been finding a lot of interesting projects, uh, nothing that was ready to, to run right away. So um, I've, I found a handful of uh, little things here and there that were like either day projects or half day projects. Uh, so th- those have been nice to pick up. But most of the big stuff that's going to be either, you know, several weeks or several months long. Um, I'm still waiting to hear back on most of those. They're either waiting for confirmation that they can actually run the project or find out whether or not uh, uh, they're going to select me to do the project versus someone else. Uh, no one's really ready to pull the trigger yet. So so I've, I've taken the last couple of weeks to um, 
basically just just scatter around uh kind of look at my look at my priorities on uh, what I should be doing to get clients and work with clients, uh, how I should pick up projects. Um, I looked back at my notes from um, uh, Yitz's talk in, um, uh, sorry, Minneapolis for Midwest PHP on the, the freelance roller coaster. Uh, so I was looking back at that again, and a lot of the stuff that he said in that kind of struck a chord with me as being stuff that I was aware that I wasn't doing very well. And one of them was uh, not being diverse enough. Mm. So that if one, if you have all your eggs in one basket and you have one client where you're spending 40 to 50 hours a week, if that client goes away, then you have absolutely nothing else to fall back on. Um, and that's happened to me twice this year now where I've kind of uh, put everything on a single project and then had that project suddenly come to a halt where it wasn't expected, where there was either months or weeks worth of work left to do that for whatever reason, the, the client decided that uh, they weren't going to be able to continue on the project. So um, so I need to be, be wary of that uh, in the future and pay more attention to, to those sorts of traps that I can fall into pretty easily. Uh, just because it's very tempting. If you, have, if you have a really great uh, contract come along where they need a lot of time for a long period of time, um, to say, yeah, I'll just work on that. That'll be my focus. And then everything goes by and you don't have anything else to go to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not, not spending any time cultivating new relationships, cultivating new work to happen in the future because I'm spending all my time on, on one client's projects. Uh, it really doesn't set me up very well for success. So, um, so I, I, I learned, I've been learning a lot over the last two years, pretty much since, we started this podcast is when I've kind of started doing this, uh, actually having to find recurring clients, mm. um, and, and are actually having to find work on a recurring basis, um, rather than just having one contract that I was working on for two years at a time. So it's, it's been a, it's been a learning curve, but I don't know. I had, the, the stress isn't so nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's great when it's great and then it's not when it's not. So so how far would you run that up then? So say, I mean, I used to work with um, with a guy who was a he was a contractor and but and he was contractor for hire, like as in he was on site, he was in our team, mm. you know, permanently. Um, but he only did four days a week. He did a four day week with us, and he saved that fifth day for maintaining other clients and you know other kinds of smaller jobs and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, is that the kind of thing you'd probably Maybe is that, would that be a good balance for you? Would be, you know, yeah, trying to find that, someone who'd let you do that kind of. Let's do four days a week and leave me a day to do other things and right or, or nothing at all. You know, I mean that'd be mm. really nice. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean that that those are the those are the options, right? You can either use that time to work on side projects, or you can use that time to do family things, or you can use that time to make, cultivate and maintain other relationships. Um, and I think that's what I need to do. Basically, I need to say. And, and I know people who say this, that they won't work more than, than three days or, you know, 20 hours on any given client. And a lot of clients don't like that. A lot of people will want you to come on and be more or less a full-time contributor. Um, and I, I, just, I just need to be very careful about which of those types of projects I, I choose because it does put me at a disadvantage um, by not being able to have other things in the pipe. Because if I don't know when if I don't know when the contract's going to end, 
because it seems like it's going to be a long project and it could be months and months and months of work, mm. then it's easy for me to get lazy and not think about finding new clients until it's way too late. So um, for me, you know, in, in this particular instance, I, I, I waited a week to, to see if this project was going to pick back up again before I finally realized this project's not coming back. Uh, because it, it was kind of in question because the, the client stopped the project for a short period of time. Mm. Um, and then, so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to use this time to work on other stuff, uh, but I'm not going to try too hard to get other client work because I'm working, you know, between 30 and 50 hours a week for these people right now. And I can't have other work. <laughs> it, 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 and when I say this to myself, I'm laughing because it just sounds so ridiculous that this was the stuff that was going through my, my, my mind. And, um, I just I just need to be wary of that. I think that certain certain gigs, certain positions, certain jobs, it makes sense to do so, but I need to be careful not to make this uh, a recurring habit because uh, it's just not good. It's not healthy, and I don't have the uh, years and years of client base that other people might have. That it might not be a problem. You know, if I if certain people right now, if they found themselves with all of their client work gone for some reason that they were actively working on, they'd have 50 people that they could write an email to and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I have, I have time open if you need anything. And they'd probably get five emails back. Can you start tomorrow? Um, mm. I know people who are in those sorts of situations, but I, I don't have that base yet um, because almost all of my time I've spent on, on like single long contracts with big, big corporations. Um, and I just don't have those relationships. I don't have that base yet to be able to survive this kind of thing. So mm. I, I need to be in a place where I, I you know, maybe I, maybe I don't commit to more than 30 hours a week for any, anybody. And maybe I, maybe I draw the line at two or three hours a week. More than that, I, it has to be a very special case that I would do that. Um, so that, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, but it's easier said than done because if someone comes along right now and says, I have this awesome thing that you can do, but I need you 50 hours a week for two months, it's, it would be really hard for me right now to say, no, I can't do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in this weird position where I, I, I can't really say no to a project like that because that would really help me. Um, but at the same time, that's, the, that's what got me into this problem to begin with. Um, and that's, what's gotten me into this problem twice now in less than four months is that yeah. I get these projects where I put all my, all my time and energy into that. And then it's, it goes away unexpectedly. Um, so yeah, so yeah, the the last two weeks has basically been me um, doing some. You know, I've been doing other things as well, but almost all of that time has been spent looking for client work and trying to follow up with people, uh, trying to re. You know, I'm firing up all of this stuff. Like I'm reengaging uh, Gun.io. I've been looking at Odesk again just to see if there's any random stuff there. I'm, I'm looking at these things. And I should have been doing that all along. I should have done mm. a little base amount of that this whole time rather than trying to, to cram it all in now. So it's, it's, it's a good learning experience for me to, to keep reminding myself that I need to be, I, if I'm going to do this, I need to be better at it. I need to be mindful of it. And uh, it's just going to, it's going to take me time to, to get everything dialed in. But I feel like I'm, I know these things. I just need to act on them and and be diligent with with following through with the things that i know that would be healthy for the business yeah but that sounds like you're you're at least uh taking it back and uh doing a bit of a retrospective on it and uh 
yeah, it's just about just making sure you act on it now, you know. Um, if that opportunity does come for the 50 mm. hours a week for a couple of months, you know, maybe you take it and say, it, I'm telling you now that uh, if you want to go on with this, I won't be able to maintain 50 hours a, a week after the initial mm. period, you know. At least then you're guaranteeing yeah. that work. And then you set about, you can still set about trying to build relationships with other people. You know, it might take mm-hmm. you, maybe you're going to end up doing a, a 55 hour a week because you're going to spend five hours looking to build up uh, relationships yeah. for when you know you're going to have more time available after that two month period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you can always drop clients, you know. So even if you do take a a 50 hour week for two months thing, if it becomes too much and something else presents itself, then you'd have to say to them, look, I'm sorry, sorry, but I'm going to have to cut you back to 30 hours. If you don't like it, then I'm really sorry, but maybe some other time or something like that, you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, I'm not an expert. I'm just rambling. Uh, yeah, no, these are these are all good things. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that after Midwest PHP on the road on the road home, I was talking to Beck about it, and I said, "You know what? I'm in a bad position right now." And I knew this back in, I guess I was mid March, wasn't that long ago. And I said, "I'm in a bad position." I said, "I have, I don't have anything to fall back on. I don't have anything planned beyond this project, and this project very likely won't go beyond April, the end of April." Um, so I said, "I I feel like I need to." not do this again where i have everything riding on this one contract and she sort of fought i don't want to say fought me on it but she sort of she she pushed back at the idea because she was thinking that it would make more sense to take this opportunity as far as we can and say you know they're they're letting you have as many hours as you want basically we'll just work on them all (laughs) it'll be good to do so and while while we can um, so it's, it's interesting that we, we had this discussion and I still didn't do anything on it. And it wasn't like she like made me not mm. try to find other contracts or anything like that. But, uh, she's looking at it now and she's like, yeah, I think you were right. <laughs> should have, should have, uh, tried to spread, spread it a little bit more anyway, so that you could have something else that you could be working on right now, or at least had discussions in place with some people before. So it's it's good. It's I feel like I, I I got I was I was really happy with uh the talk that I saw just because it sort of validated a lot of the things that I was already feeling but wasn't really sure about. So I, I liked that quite a bit. Um but I have had uh other things to do, um, which sort of was kind of nice, I guess. There was a lot of work around PSR seven a couple of weeks ago. How's that going? Um, um, well, it was up for a vote. Uh, it was less than 24 hours from passing, and we knocked it back to review uh, because there were some critical issues with it that I, I was already feeling uncomfortable because we were basically writing down this list list of issues that we would have to fix after it was accepted <laughs> uh, basically adding a bunch of errata to the document and mostly to the meta document um, and I just I, I wasn't feeling it like with every passing addition to that checklist I was like this is really not feeling very good mm. um, and there was finally an uh, one of the issues came up that uh, Matthew also agreed that you know, this is this is this is a big enough issue that I don't think we can just address this with some errata. This has to be 
fixed. So uh, we brought it back to review and within probably a, a week of being in review, we decided that the changes that we were making were big enough that it would have to go back to draft. So uh, we actually dropped it back to draft for, I think two weeks, a week or two, uh, while we incorporated some of the feedback. Uh, we complete, uh, the upload file stuff was completely changed around. Like there's a brand new interface just for upload files. Right. Um, so, so I, I think it was for the best. It was for the best, but there are people who have full implementations that are already ready that are being held back by the fact that PSR seven isn't an actual thing yet. Um, the AWS SDK is relying on PSR seven. Uh, they want to do a new release and they can't really do it without PSR seven being finalized. Um, Guzzle's getting ready. I think Guzzle 7, I think that's what version they're at now. Guzzle 7 has is a implementation of PSR 7. Uh, Slim, I think it's already based on PSR 7. Uh, I think I just saw something published by Paul M. Jones uh, with the new Aura routers, PSR 7 uh, com- compatible. So it's a lot of people who are chomping at the bit to have PSR 7 be a thing. So um, it went back up for review, I think, I think a week ago on Thursday. But it may actually have been a, a week and a half ago. So I don't remember when we get to put it up for a vote again. But there's there's one or two minor things in review that people are still complaining about. I call them minor. They're very big deals for the people who think they're big deals. Um, so I, I don't know. I saw uh, Matthew Wirofini was um, working on those tickets again today. So uh, I'll kind of see how that shakes out. But it's been good, uh, but it did take a lot of time uh, to work with people, do some PR reviews, uh, start, uh, I had a couple of video chats with Matthew um, just to try and get these things resolved. Uh, had to write a few emails. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's good, but it's not a thing yet. And I don't know, when we recorded two two episodes ago, I think it was almost a thing. <laughs> Since then, we've had had another six weeks of bureaucracy injected into the mix. So um, I, I like the fact that there's these checks and balances, but sometimes it feels like the two-week window is a little too long because uh, every single thing has to be a two-week wait before you can go to the next step. And even the vote itself is two weeks long, so I don't know. Yeah, always, but, always but that, a drama. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. I've actually been happy about how little. Well, it seems like there's less drama than there has been for certain fig related things in the past. So at least there's that. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, it seems relatively calm in the community at the minute. Yeah. Um. So there was that. Uh, let's see. I had a couple of other things that I wanted to to mention. Um, well, while you looks like I'm. Go ahead. I was just going to go while we're on projects. I was going to while you were thinking about yours. There was a couple of projects I noticed pop up that I thought you might be interested in. Um, mm-hmm. Both geared towards uh, managing monolithic repositories made up of mm. smaller packages. Um, you know, in the way sort of Symfony's actually developed in one big repository, and then they have the subsplits for the individual packages. Yep. So a couple of um libraries pop up um one of them is called uh letudiant which i assume the french uh, composer shared package plugin have you seen that uh no i haven't actually okay so this does a a simlinky type thing that we've discussed before um mm-hmm. in a much more complicated way but it's actually a composer plugin 
and uh, you add a few extra things to your composer JSON. I think, um, assuming um, you're using, so assuming you have a name of a package in your require section of your composer file, you can put um, the dev version of the same package in your required dev place, uh, mm-hmm. part of your composer JSON. And then assuming you tell it in the the extra thing where to find your sort of uh, working directory for packages, it will symlink your working version of that package into the vendor folder for you, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually in your uh, in the composer JSON file itself. You configure it in the composer JSON file, yeah, and it's this plugin will okay. do the magic for you. So yeah, I'm looking at an example here. So they have the require section, and in the require section, they have Acme, Fubar, and then tilde 1.0 for the the not quite some very thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in require dev, they have Acme, Fubar, dev develop as 1.0, mm-hmm. and then they have this little extra thing that says the vendor DIR for the shared pack. They call them shared packages. Is uh, they've called it composer dependencies, but you get the idea. It's like that would right. be the source. Just another, a another install or, or repository for that uh, package. So you're you're using all of your development environments within mm-hmm. each other. If you see what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, I, I thought you you'd probably take uh, an interest in that because I know it's something you've had a uh, sort of pains with before and previously, and a frustrating kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. I wonder if this is related to the other project you're going to talk about. I think I know which other one you're going to talk about. Well, um, Benjamin's uh, was the was the other one. Did you see? Yeah. It? I, so I think I might have seen this this thing that you're talking about just because I clicked through some of the 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 links in the README um, as like alternate solutions for what what he's trying to do. Um, and the the thing that I wanted to do uh, was to do this outside of Composer because if you do it inside Composer.json, it requires building composer and everything so uh i i was I, when i saw that i thought that that looked really interesting but i wondered if it could be done without having to modify the composer json itself because if once you do that you have to do a composer update and then if you commit your composer json accidentally then everyone knows where your files are hmm. so I, I i i would need to look at it more closely uh it does sound really close to what I would what I would like to do. So I think it is pretty close to that. Um, I just would like to find a way to do it such that you wouldn't you could protect yourself better so that it wouldn't end up in in your repository somehow. Yeah, but but it does sound like it does. It is nice to see that there are other people working on this kind of problem because I don't think it's been solved yet. It yeah. is a problem that I think a lot of people have. So did you take a look at Fiddler, which is Benjamin's version? Yes, and I I didn't actually try it out or anything like that. Yeah, do you want um, you... so? Um, it's definitely more confusing, uh, but it is a separate tool uh, with embedded composer. Um, and you have a um. So, I I assume the inner packages also have a composer JSON, but the the main root has a composer JSON with all of the dependencies for everything, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Hang on. Yeah, so the main route has the Composer JSON that has all the dependencies in, and then each of the packages has a a fiddler.json, 
uh, which names its pa- packages it requires, but a simplified version. And um, Fiddler generates um, auto loaders for each of the individual packages themselves, but using the files from the the global install. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think these are individual packages meant for distribution as packages as in composer packages, but more like if you're having the Google or the Facebook style giant repository that contains all of your apps, if you see what I mean. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So again, it's uh, that's worth checking out. It's Benjamin Eberly, uh, Fiddler. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it, looks com- it looks confusing, but they're using it for their... Um... So he works for Kafu, Kafu, I don't know how to pronounce it. But they have a profiler for PHP apps, and they they say they've used it on their repository for that, uh, and they're quite happy with it, and it's working quite well. So yeah, check that out. Yeah, when I was looking at that, I was trying to figure out what the use case is. If they aren't actually composer packages themselves, then why would you why would you care? I mean, why would you care that they're their own separate packages if they aren't distributed separately? Um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, so, that, one, so one of the things it definitely is uh, to talk about com- committing the vendor folder. Um, mm-hmm. So you commit it once in the top level and mm-hmm. then everything else uses it rather than commit it individually in each of the individual things. And then mm-hmm. talks about uh, trying to update it. So if you wanted to update to a newer version, you'd have to go into each individual package and update in one place. Or sorry, update each individual package do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. What else? So, I, think? I, I think you kind of nailed it that it looks confusing at first. <laughs> so like, like uh, I think that it probably works really well if you know what it needs to be used for. But for, for me, I wasn't exact for me with, with my use case that I was hoping it was going to be, which was closer to what the other person had done where they'd found a way to make it easier to work on separate projects. Um, but then I realized when I looked at it, it was actually intentionally not splitting out these things anyway. So um, it was a little backwards from what I think I had hoped for. So I, I didn't didn't click for me how I would use it. Yeah, I think it's basically so, so if your packages that aren't meant for distribution but do depend on each other and obviously depend on their own dependencies as well, that can get confusing in terms of, uh, you know, mismatches. Uh, mm-hmm. And even like um, you know minor versions and in slight minor differences in different versions of different dependencies. I don't know, but yeah, mm. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So one of the uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think I think that it's something that that will be fun to look at at some point. But yeah, right now I'm not sure that I would use it. It is. I have seen more people talking about these monolithic repositories. And I've slowly been migrating in that direction for some of my bigger projects as well. Yeah. Because um, I, I like to split things out, but it's just such a pain to work with, with Composer, if you have all of these little packages. Um, I'm thinking about wanting to do that with Sculpin. And I, part of the reason I haven't actually done it yet is because I, I'm afraid that it's going to be a nightmare yeah. <laughs> to actually split the components out. Um, but I feel like it's the right thing to do. Uh, I'm uh, I'm not I, so sure. It doesn't appeal to me at all. Uh, yeah, 
It's almost like you're doing so, you're doing you're almost doing it for for purist purist reasons in terms of you know you can have the same effect but just keep it in the same results repository. Can't you? you know, right? You right. can you can be if you're strict enough with yourself in the way that you use the packages, then it's okay to have them in the same repository. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. Well, so I've I've had uh, a very vocal critic of the way Sculpin is built right now, such that um, basically all of the the dependencies that are required to build Sculpin right now mm. aren't needed if you don't need them. But if you have everything in one monolithic repository, then you pretty much have to install everything. Mm. So that w- that was the the thing that I'm looking to avoid if I can. Yeah. So. Anyway, I, I so as far as the other solution for this being uh, the subtree splits, um, Taylor Otwell has been using uh, my git subsplit package to build the Illuminate components. Yep. And uh, it's been a long-running issue for him that it's Laravel is too big for using this. Um, at this point, it takes upwards of two hours to run the subsplits for all 27 Illuminate packages. Uh, be, each one of them has anywhere from two to three branches that they need to build versions for. So he can only run it at night. So about a week ago, he sent out a, a tweet saying, if someone can if someone can fix this, or if someone can make this run faster, uh, I'll give them $500. And so I was like, thinking I should just fix it anyway <laughs> because uh, you know I, I, w- I really wanted to figure out what it was so there were a couple of people who sent him some different solutions that they were using some of them are using git subsplit anyway uh, they were just using it with different different options uh, some of them are using uh, just the raw git subtree command um, but I think that all of those people that were trying that they don't have the same performance concerns that Laravel does because their their projects are just too small mm-hmm. Sculpin's code base is small enough that i think it only takes seconds to run this the splits for each of the packages so um what i ended up having to do was uh hack git subtree the, the core git subtree command there's a there was a problem with the cache that people ran into early on that um the cache doesn't clean itself up so people were running out of inodes so uh, I think Zen Framework was using it for a little while and they ended up switching to something else or doing something manually. I'm not sure what they're doing. Uh, but it would cre- uh, the, this, uh, the git subtree command would create a file for every version or every permutation of versions throughout your repository. And then the next run, it would create a brand new directory with every single file. So there's like, like Laravel, I think it creates like 9,000 files or something f- per run. Um, of, of of the entire thing. So before every time it would run, it would create nine thousand more files, and it, so it, like if if it was running nightly, pretty soon your mm. your disk space isn't out, but you run out of inodes. I, have you ever run into that problem? Yeah, yeah, quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. So it's you you look like you have enough room, but it says there's no more disk space or there's no more inodes. Yeah. Like, Why well, did I run out of inodes? And it's because you have thousands upon thousands of uh, little files that are like zero byte files that are just placeholders for something. Yeah. So, so actually, um, I just interestingly, I've had that problem with you know, uh, you know, Ubuntu and Debian uh, sort of managed the garbage collection of PHP sessions themselves with cron jobs. I didn't know they did that. No. Yeah. So, if but with the default uh, PHP session settings and everything, 
um, rather than use PHP's built-in stuff, I think it's I think it's set up this way for uh, security, where aimed mainly at shared hosting and things, you know. So mm-hmm. the files can be owned by a different user and things. Okay. Uh, and basically, that cron job wasn't running properly, so session files mm-hmm. weren't getting deleted, and the tiny, tiny files, but millions and hundreds yeah. and thousands of them, and uh, that happened to me. So yeah, it was a mess trying to get rid of them. Yeah, so try to figure it out. Um why these people were having these problems. So we finally figured out that basically git get subtree command was not cleaning up its cache. So about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I I patched git subtree to delete its cache when it was done. And the git subtree author never got back to me for a very long time. Um, and so finally, I'd say maybe a couple of months ago, I wrote him back again and said, hey, what's the deal? Like I tried, I don't know what the process is. I, I tried to follow the instructions for the git contributors and they said i was supposed to write the contributor or the maintainer of this contrib package so he finally wrote me back and said sorry i waited so long to get back to you i've been really busy i'm not really maintaining it anymore uh go follow the other instructions you need to send it to the mailing get mailing list and then he said but i i don't know why um it's creating a new cache every time because the expectation was that you would reuse the cache so my fix to delete the cache wasn't really appropriate uh, because that wasn't what they want. What that wasn't what should be happening. Right. So um, my my first fix, sorry, my first attempted fix with um, uh, trying to help Taylor speed up his process was to basically hack Git subtree to um, not cr- put the cache in the same directory all the time. But the problem that we found out was that uh, the the cached files must have actually had content in them of some sort, because when we ran the script, it started pushing up um, the same branch, the contents of the same branch to all of the named branches for all of the components. So that we couldn't reuse the cache file uh, because it was uh, it it would contain the uh, content of the the other branch or the the other uh, subtree. So um, we ended up going through different permutations, and at this point, the the fastest we've gotten it is to about twenty minutes, um, and we create a directory for each component, and then we create a directory for each branch that, that component runs in, and then we run the subtree command for that component for that branch in it, its own directory, and the cache is still disabled, or the cache is still. Uh, patched so that it reuses the cache so each time that it builds it can reuse the cache for that particular path that subpath of the, the tree and um for that branch because otherwise it was the, the history was just not right mm-hmm. so it, it turned out to be kind of a pain but without spending probably a week rewriting it in go or something i don't know it's going to get any faster than that so we we have one more attempt to run it to make sure that it's working correctly as we expect um and then hopefully uh laravel's builds uh, laravel laravel's uh, component builds will speed up to closer to 20 minutes instead of just over two hours that sounds cool yeah i mean you mentioned the go thing i mean i, I saw fabian uh, respond to uh taylor's tweet and mm-hmm. uh, he said their their system was um he said it's, it's the minute he doesn't have the time to open source it uh their system requires a lot of maintenance on the software and the hardware, so I assume they're distributing it uh, over a lot of machines to make it happen fast. Yeah. Yeah. 
so it was fun. Uh, that was kind of a, a fun thing to look at, but it was also very stressful. I, I broke Illuminate components for about two hours. Um, well, actually, it may have been longer than that because we didn't realize that one one of the permutations that we had done um, didn't go as far as uh, realizing the cache was branch specific. So, um, but we had known that they were component specific. So the first eleven components, um, all three branches, uh, the four two master and the five five zero branch, all had the contents of five one. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and so it took us about a half hour to realize that those were broken, and then he had to run the the legacy script that takes two hours to run. So, um, to to basically pave over yeah. uh, the mistake we'd made. Um, so yeah, I, I I was pretty hard on myself that day because I I felt like <laughs> I had broken Laravel, uh, which wasn't which wasn't a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway. Uh, risk we'll reward isn't it you know it sounds like uh, it's yeah. going to work out well in the end so yep yeah so that was good um uh, speaking of laravel um lumen mm. yeah it looks really nice yeah. um pretty much the uh i think the selling point's really good is just that it, it does most of the sort of like that nice tight integration with the laravel components straight out of the box for you mm. uh, it looks pretty sweet i mean i'm not overly fussed about the uh sort of the advertised uh, performance gains um i mean interestingly mm-hmm. enough uh, the reason a lot of those gains happen is because they're using a nikic fast route instead of the regular router so mm-hmm. yeah it's going to be faster and also they don't for example instantiate http kernel requests unless they need to so yeah i mean if you're doing something really small and thin then yeah fire away with lumen but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just another micro framework, mostly. Yeah, I was. I I made the realization uh, a couple of weeks ago, or last. I guess it's it's only been out for just over a week. I guess so. It was right after it came out that I thought that Lumen would probably appeal to me more than Laravel would, in the same ways that Silex appealed to me more than Symphony Full Stack did. Mm. Um. It's, uh, it looks like it'd be a lot easier to get in there and create a tiny app that has no expectations of bundles or packages or anything and just start playing with it and get a feel for the components and then build on top of that and eventually be able to bring it into a full stack Laravel app. So I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty close to creating something in Lumen just, just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. I actually started, um, I downloaded Homestead and... Uh, uh, I haven't actually created my first Laravel app yet, but I have most of the tools ready to do so. Uh, so I figure it's about time that I at least give it a spin and try it out. But of course, I always want to make things more complicated than they need to be. And I want to use 5.1 because 5.1 is PSR2. And I, it wasn't until that I, I had seen that that was one of the changes in 5.1 that I realized I don't think I'd want to work in a... I, I don't want to worry about working in code that has tabs in it mm. um you know whether it's tabs or spaces whatever your choice is i almost everything i work in is spaces and to have the um the scaffolding generate a bunch of files that i have to go in and edit and if those are all tab based and i have to figure out how to make my editor do tabs when i'm in this project in these files i realized that, that would be kind of a pain and i've never really appreciated psr2 fully until i realized that it's really made a big impact on me and being able to work in pretty much any libraries out there 
uh, because they're all PSR2. Almost all of the ones that I'm using are PSR2 libraries, so they're already using spaces instead of tabs, and I don't have to worry about it. Everything's going to going to work. So, yeah, I don't know. Have, have, have you you've worked in some of the older Laravel like five, probably some four maybe, but definitely five. Have you run into issues with t- the tabs versus spaces? Not so much issues. I just usually change everything as I go. Uh, I mean, the issues. I mean, I've. I haven't uh, contributed much back to Laravel, but I have submitted a couple of patches, and I think I did it both times. It was uh, I just coded away as I usually do, then mm-hmm. I had to stop, like check myself and think, oh no, and then go back and change all my braces, uh, check I was using tabs <laughs> when I should have been using tabs, uh, and that's yeah. all, all this for me. I don't have. I mean, in terms of personal preference, they just it doesn't matter to me that much. Uh, as long as my editor is yeah. set up to, to do things at the right time, then I don't really care too much. I just want everything mm-hmm. to be consistent, and that's that's yeah. where the benefit is for me. So, Yeah, and I guess that's what I'm thinking too, is that the consistency thing is, is pretty big, because I don't, I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to code. Mm. And if people are, are doing PSR2 across the board, it makes that a lot easier. So Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I, actually, I, I actually wrote um, a blog post um, a Maybe maybe two years ago, uh, Larry Garfield sent a request to Fig, uh, kind of doing like an informal poll, saying who, what what kind of things should Fig be working on? Like, should they be interfaces? Should they be soft things like uh, like code standards, coding standards, and whatnot? And this was before I was actually a voting Fig member, but um, I think I had listed myself as being closer toward um, just doing. Uh, interfaces like more actual code things and not so much with psr1 psr2 and hari asked me why and i figured that that deserved more than 140 characters but the biggest thing for me was that um i I thought psr1 and psr2 were fine uh, and i didn't really care and i didn't really think we needed them but it made no difference to me because i was already following symphony's coding standards yeah so it was really easy to adopt so it I was in a weird position where I felt like my life was better because of PSR2, but I didn't really feel like it was necessary. And I didn't necessarily think Fig needed to do anything with it. But now I'm seeing that it really does impact my life bigger than I thought it had. Yeah, just, definitely. Just be, yeah. Um, I I was in the same boat. I was already using Symphony's coding standards and 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 pair coding standards before that if you know what i mean then uh, so it yeah. wasn't that much of a change for me um and if i'm honest i don't really pay too much attention to it now i definitely don't get into i don't use checkers and i i definitely don't like worry too much about how i indent method calls or you know method calls with arrays and things like that mm-hmm. i just do it so it looks all right and then move on <laughs> yeah yeah i finally installed phpcs uh just just because I wanted to be a little more upfront about that. Um, I've, I've turned it off in my test suite uh, because I don't care if my tests don't look quite right. Um, and there's a lot of cases in the testing where I have to create really long files, really long, long line lengths in some of the files. Um, because sometimes you have really long, you need you need a really long string to test. And mm. I don't want PHPCS to flag the file as an error if if it, just, just for that reason. So... Um, I've turned it off, but yeah, I, I hadn't been using any sort of automated testing before for, or not automated testing, but automated tooling to help me make sure that I was following PSR2, but I did enable it recently. Um, finally took the time to do that. 
Um, Lumen. Uh, see what else. Do you have anything else semi related to that? Nothing related. Uh, I have a couple of other links that I thought were quite interesting that came up over the last couple of weeks. Um, there's a blog post. Um, I don't have the full title here, but it was something along the lines of uh, "Choose Boring Technology." And did you see that at all? No, uh, I didn't. It was Dan McKinley. Um, he used to work at Etsy, and um, he talks basically about um the trade-offs of choosing sort of innovative technologies, you know, or newer technologies. He talks about using Node.js, or he talks about using MongoDB. Mm-hmm. And um, there's quite a few sort of nice points throughout the article. Um, the first thing he talks about was uh, he called theoretical innovation tokens. Uh, and let's say you, he says maybe you have three innovation tokens to use on a project. So uh, if you choose to write your website in Node.js, you spent an innovation token. If you choose to use Mongo, you've spent an innovation token. Um, you know, if if and he says at the end, if you choose to write your own database, you're in trouble. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so he's going about this kind of thing, and he's saying he goes on to talk about um, all pieces, of, all technology has known unknowns and unknown unknowns, and with newer technologies, or you know, that haven't been around for long, there are a lot more of those unknown unknowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know. And he's building up, uh, uh, he then goes into, we always talk about using the best tool for the job. And um, there might be a good case to say that, uh, for example, Node.js is the the best tool for a particular job. You have a problem, you need to put a solution in. And Node.js would be the best technical solution for that problem. However, we have um, a lot of overhead involved in running multiple solutions. So if you were to choose the best tool for every job, you'd end up having a lot of tools. And each of those mm-hmm. tools requires operations and requires you to maintain them and so on and so forth. And he argues that sometimes it's better to reuse a few of those tools, maybe when they wouldn't be the best, but when you're already using them and you're already familiar with them, there are a lot more known unknowns rather than unknown unknowns and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just thought it was quite a good article, and it, you know, I mean, I mean, PHP gets the mention in there, of course. You know, mm-hmm. it's PHP is boring technology. MySQL yeah. is boring technology, um, and yeah, and it sort of resonated with me. And there's a lot of, uh, I do a lot of that, you know, um, and it, it's it's good to have a, a bit of a grounding like that sometimes, and not have to use the latest thing for everything you're doing, and so on and so forth. So I thought mm-hmm. it was quite a good article. I'll put the link in the. Uh, the show notes and uh, there was another uh, link I had um, well was it it was um, from Mozilla it was um, just a little tool really to generate um, SSL configuration for uh, web servers or services so they have Apache, Nginx uh, HAProxy and AWS ELB uh, Elastic Load Balancers Uh, and then there's a couple of settings you can go for modern, intermediate or old and then S server versions for the software and open SSL version that uh, you can put in the versions you'd like. And it generates the config for you, including what they consider to be their recommended uh, Cypher Suite selection, uh, you know, to avoid all this confusing stuff about which ones work and mm-hmm. which ones are secure and things like that. And I thought it was really cool. Um, and it and it tell you, so if you choose um, the intermediate profile, rather than the modern or the old profile, it'll tell you uh, which um, browser clients it's compatible with. 
So if you choose the intermediate profile, it'll tell you that it's compatible with Firefox 1, Chrome 1, IE7, Opera 5, Safari 1, and so on like that. So mm-hmm. I thought it was quite cool. Nice little tool. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's something you can always bookmark and keep revisiting. Nice. Yeah. I think that was it. That's all my uh, all my stuff. Okay. Um so uh Weary uh Weary Hexmas. Weary, uh I know what you Weary mean. Yep. Yeah. Um has been posting some stuff on React PHP and there was a React PHP shout out post that looked very similar to the other uh the the post from the league that you liked. Uh, mm. that Phil Sturgeon posted uh, that looked like it was just a breakdown of the, the people who've been contributing to Rack PHP. And I kind of thought that looked looked familiar to uh, what we talked about in the past. So that was kind of neat to kind of have someone kind of go down and talk about all of the, the people who have contributed to this awesome project, which was pretty nice. Um, and he actually did a, a follow-up post on uh, specifically on the HTTP component in which he gave a shout-out to Sculpin. Oh, cool. Uh, because uh, Sculpin uses... React's HTTP server internally. So I thought that was kind of neat. Um, let's see what else. Oh, you mentioned, I think you mentioned this. The contributor covenant? Did you yeah, tell me about that? Some time ago, yeah. I think uh, Will Durand, I saw it pop across his tweet stream or something. Yeah, so I've, I've been thinking that that might be kind of cool to add to Sculpin. So I started at, um, talking with the, the Sculpin team to see if anyone objects to adding that Um Partly because I haven't done, and I don't know enough about these things to know if it's actually a good thing <laughs> to help with diversity. Sometimes there are um, certain uh, initiatives that mean well, but a lot of people who are in into the know. these, yeah, yeah, will say, yeah, yeah, that's not that's yeah. not helping anybody, or that's not not going to be good. So I just wanted to make sure and to get sign off by everyone on the team before I add it in case anyone has any red flags to raise. So, so I'm hoping to do that sometime this week. Um, did you, did you check out the Fort rabbit PHP heads post? Uh, I glanced at it. Yeah. But it just looked like a big list of people. Yeah. It was just a big list of people. Well, you're on it. Did you know that? <laughs> I did know that. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know yeah, how, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm on it as well. And I thought that was an interesting, thing i'm not sure what they're going to do with that it looked like they put it together because they thought it was important but they don't want to maintain it so right they're trying to find uh find out if anyone else is willing to take it over so i'm not sure what they're actually planning to do with it or if that's going to go anywhere but i think they're just growth hacking uh, myself yeah i think so but a link bait yep um but yeah so if there's any listeners who are somewhat new to php and you want to find other php people to follow it's a pretty good pretty good sized list mm. of people i think it's about 70 people on it so yeah i mean so it, if you're looking for for it, more people to follow i mean it is a good good source did, for that did so. they actually publish it as a twitter list you know i don't know if it was a twitter list i think they had links to twitter profiles yeah. and um, but uh, i mean if they wanted to make it useful for people rather than the website yeah. so it could have been a twitter oh, list actual, yeah do you see what yeah, i mean because you yeah. can make a public twitter list can't twitter you? list yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe we could offer that as a suggestion. Yeah. That might that might be kind of cool. Well, well um, on that topic, I uh, just want to say quickly that um, Cal uh, was good enough. To, oh. Cal Evers was good enough to send me a few of the wise wisdom of the Ella PHP, and so everyone pronouncing <laughs> that book. So, yeah. so big shout out! I think and they thank just, you to Cal. I think they just pronounce it elephant. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't too sure. Uh, 
Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I've got those, and I, the first page I read was yours, of course. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of cool, man. So thank you to Cal. Um, he gave me, he sent me um, a few in the post, so I've, I'll keep one for myself. And uh, I'm actually um, going to go to a local meetup group uh, next month, and I'll give out a few there. I think so. Nice, that's awesome. I I, I realized that I'm technically in there twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Phil Sturt, uh, Phil Sturgeon's post talks about DeFi Dev Markdown. So I, I I didn't notice that the first time through, and then I read. I'm like, wait a minute. There's something. Why is there something in here about my deprecated package? So I thought that, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, oh, and, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, and 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 we just got the Phil Sturgeon mention in the uh, reg- uh, regular. Oh, yep. Regular yeah, Phil Sturgeon in- mention. <laughs> um, speaking of community people, um, uh, Adam Culp started a new uh, podcast. Yes, which I haven't I had. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but uh, it's Run Geek Radio. Um, so if anyone's looking for another podcast and happens to like running, um, he, it sounds like he talks uh, a lot about uh, conferences and technology and programming and, and running. So um, I actually met Adam a year ago, a little over a year ago, and heard him talk for the first, I uh, heard him talk about running a little bit. It's when right after we had just sort of gotten into running a lot so it was kind of fun to talk to him about that a little bit he's way more hardcore than than i am <laughs> so it, it was like it wasn't like there was anything we could relate to <laughs> but, uh, but it was fun to hear about him uh, and some of the stuff that he does especially down in florida it sounds like some of the the running he gets to do down there is pretty pretty intense yeah um kayla daniels uh, launched a new project called help me abstract uh, helpmeabstract.com uh, I've actually been pretty impressed by the stuff that she's she's put out. I feel like there's at least one other project that I can't remember right now that she's kind of put out relatively quickly. So she's been doing a really good job of the uh, uh, get something out fast and see how, you know, get it validated mm. and get people using it. Um, similar to like the, the just log um, concept. Um, and so she, she actually has the whole thing backed on GitHub just as well. So it's kind of interesting that there's this little... Uh, Two people now have have built applications on GitHub just um, that in the last couple. Or I'm sure people have done it before, but just in the the recent past, have been yeah. two people. Um, but yeah, so it's that's kind of cool. Uh, I've I've contributed um, stuff back to a couple of the people who have put stuff in, so mm. that was kind of neat. Um, Beck did uh, scrutinizer. Uh, did you see scrutinizer? Oh, yes. OSS art. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, it looked yeah, really cool. So, yeah, so she she has that out now. Um, it's been funny listening to the old episodes because we recorded them so long ago and they kind of like came out spaced as they did. Mm. And we were like listening to them like that was like two that was two two uh, two pieces ago. <laughs> so uh, so scrutinizer's out now. Uh, she actually has the next piece done. Should I? Should, she's down here right now. She's kind of smiling. Should I? We'll probably have this published in a week so we can talk about it, right? Yeah. She says yes. So the next one's Octopress. Oh, cool. So, yeah. You, so, can I see it? Yeah, yeah. I'll go get it. Hold on one second. Ah, very nice. Oh, I like the theme as well. Yeah. Yeah, so you get to see this first. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very cool. I like that one. Yeah. 
yeah it's pretty fun so she, we're, we haven't been having a lot of fun with it and we have five of them now right is that five yeah so we've she, she's done five of them um i'm still working on her website to be able to sell her artwork online a little better that was actually one of the things that i've been doing uh in between uh trying to find work and whatnot and i i wanted to try and experiment and see uh how much work i could do with the events sourcing and cqrs stuff with a relatively simple website and we talked about this on irc a little bit mm. that um sorry i had to put the painting down before i i drop it um <laughs> that it's been like i uh, i think uh matthias mentioned once like someone had asked him you know when do you know a project is complex enough to require event sourcing and cqrs and our event sourcing and his response was well when is a project simple enough that it just needs crud yeah <laughs> um so i kind of wanted to put that to a test and see and it's been daunting and super exhausting to try to build this system out like it's a relatively simple system um and there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces and i'm kind of tired of it <laughs> yeah. for, for this particular project so it has been it has been interesting to kind of put that to the test and um i was in the uh the candidate channel talking about uh uh well i you, we both sit in there and uh what, what's his name again is it mark uh beto yeah beto i want to say he's a yeah mark yeah. Bedalato. Beta yeah something like that yeah it's just beto in here but i, I knew yeah. that it was something something else um uh, i didn't remember if there's more to his name than that um but yeah I, 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 he came in and basically said exactly what i had been thinking for a week and a half which mm. was there's so like he's t like for every aggregate route you have to create a command for every command you have to create a, an event a command a command handler and then the read, <laughs> the read model, and the read model projector, and basically, the more the more you get built, the the harder it becomes to want to add anything to it because you know you're gonna have to create thirty classes <laughs> yeah. to to actually make it happen. And I know that it that it would totally be worth it for the right kind of projects, um, but I think I have now found the threshold at which I don't think it's worth it, um, and it's this project. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh, I, I may I may have to abandon uh, that work or find a way to do the rest of it as just a plain CRUD app. Um, but so anyway, that's been it's been kind of fun. Uh, part of it's also been getting uh, prepared for my Broadway talks and my uh, event sourcing and CQRS stuff um, coming up in the next or I guess our tutorials. Uh, I just wanted to get a little more hands-on experience with these things and see if I could kind of push the limits of what can I what can we build in a tutorial that would be really simple that wouldn't seem like my numbingly bad idea to build with mm. this kind of system so i think i i have a better idea now what i would like to use for the tutorial as examples and it's not going to be this i thought maybe you know if i was able to throw this together in a week um you know it's, it's something that i could have is okay well this is how you would build yeah everyone wants a blog example using ddd or whatever you know something simple mm. that's an actual thing that's not a, a shipping system you know or some really complex thing um uh, it's, you know everyone wants to look at something and say well, well, 
how, how can I see some of these principles in action as something that I might actually work on that yeah. is easy for me to relate to where I could be considered the domain expert of a blogging platform or it's a, it's a domain you know, a expert e-commerce site. It's the domain expert thing is you need yeah. to show those principles. You need the, the person needs to be familiar with the domain. And most of us yeah. aren't already familiar with the, the deep level domain like shipping or, yep. you know, we are familiar with the domain of blogging or most people are. And, Right, but it doesn't the, the the tactics just don't apply that well to the to that kind of yeah. thing, do they? Yeah, not 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 as well. So anyway, so I, I've sort of been wrestling with that a little bit, but um, it, it ties into her 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 artwork pieces and that whole project is I I've been promising her a website for a long time, and so I I started to to work down this path, and yeah. Anyway, so um. Hopefully soon, these pieces will be online for, to buy the originals, which will be pretty nice. And hopefully pretty soon, I'll be able to say that I've been able to get my wife uh, an awesome website that that I'm happy with and she's happy to be able to update. So, yeah. Um, health-wise, uh, I had been doing a pretty good job. I started working with a trainer. I think I mentioned that on the last episode. Did, yes. um, I, I've been going three times per week up until last week. I only went twice. Uh, I was going to make it up and go yesterday and to, uh, Monday, Tuesday of this week, but I just couldn't do it last night. Last I was I was pretty pretty beat last night, so I'm gonna call last week just a two week or a two time week. But it's been fun. I've I've been getting a little better at it, and I've I think that it's a pretty big thing for me to be going on my own, um, even on the nights when the trainer's not there. So. Um, it's been pretty good, and I'm I'm lifting things. I think you said you like to lift heavy things. <laughs> yeah, you enjoy going to do that sometimes. Definitely, I've I've actually started up again, trying to do a bit more, get back on that health track. Um, mm-hmm. So I've I I've started uh, using my dumbbells again. Uh, I just have dumbbells at home. I don't have any a decent set of weights or anything. Um, mm-hmm. But I did a decent dumbbell workout on Monday. And instantly felt the muscle ache on Tuesday, so I, I went on to I went online and ordered some uh, some protein powder. Um, I need to I need more protein in my diet anyway. So so when that comes, that'll uh, spare me on a little bit. Um, yesterday I uh, just did a body weight workout. Um, you know, squats, lunges, push ups, mm-hmm. star jumps, that kind of thing. And uh, I've jogged as well this week. Uh, so I'm. I'm back on track. My diet hasn't been as good as it should be. Um, it's actually been good in between. It's just the when I've strayed. Like um, yesterday evening, uh, Rebecca has had parents' evening at school where you know she gives feedback to the kids' parents. Uh, mm. And so I don't actually rather than cook anything for just me and the kids, I, I ordered pizza. So we had pizza for tea. And then today at lunchtime, I came down for my lunch and Rebecca literally walked in with the kids and they'd got a McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> so yesterday I had pizza takeaway, today I had McDonald's, so that's not gone too well. But other than that, with my the actual meals that I've prepared at home and in my snacks and everything, I've actually done pretty well. Um, I haven't been on the scales. I, I haven't really been too focused on that at the minute. Just want to do uh, up the exercise and uh, watch what I eat again. So yeah, I'm back on track with that. Okay, nice. Mm. Um, so I, I went through my my Twitter stars. I had two more favorites that I wanted to talk about, and then one last little thing. Yeah, uh, go for PHP it. Night Train. Um, I think I think we talked about this late last year that I was wondering if there was a way to run PHP sort of as a an executable. 
mm-hmm. like a, a full app that you could just deploy on a Windows box or deploy in a, a Linux machine or whatever. And this PHP Night Train application, which I'll, I'll link to, looks like that's what it aims to do. It tries to encapsulate PHP and like JavaScript and all these sorts of things to make it into uh, a native application that you can install. Okay. So um, I, I haven't had a whole lot of uses for that, but I thought that it might be kind of nice to play with that at some point, especially if if we're building um, like a point of, like the point of sale software that I was working on for a little while. Yeah. That could have been uh, a pretty nice PHP application that maybe sits and talks to some sort of API or whatever. Um, like if, if Angular or something wasn't going to work out, um, so something like that might be kind of a, a nice way to do that. Um, and then far updater, which is from Patrick. Yep. Um, so I need I need to look into that a little bit because I know that I'm I, I have that stuff built into Sculpin right now. And if there's a way that I can offload more of the, the stuff that's unique to Sculpin, that would be great. So I want to yeah. see what 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 is there, find out uh, how it works, yeah, and see think- if it's something that we can move. I think you'll get some value out with that as well because uh, Padraig's very big on the security side of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, he's been a bit of a, a voice on Composer about uh, yeah the lack of signed packages and things like that. Uh, so I believe mm-hmm. uh, you'll get things like uh, checking signatures of the files that it's downloading and things like that. I don't know if the Sculpin mm-hmm. one does that already, but does it? Yeah, I don't. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Yeah, so and I mean, he'll be doing I, things like I'm that. I'm not even you. sure that I'm... Yeah, I'm not even sure that I'm signing the FAR. So yeah, uh, uh, signing it, uh, checks on it. Uh, yeah, safely using SSL, I believe as well. Uh, yep. Yeah, I'm it looks like it sure. has a lot of cool yeah. stuff in there. So, so that's something I definitely need to look at. Um, and the last thing is not necessarily code related. It's uh, HBO now, and uh, we we finally got it. And oh yeah, so we are. We are current on Game of Thrones for the first time ever, and nice. we don't have to pay for digital cable or anything like that. We just pay the the HBO Now price, and we're good to go. That's yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah. Just on that note, I mean, uh, I got um, an Amazon Fire TV stick this week. Um, oh, okay. So I've had a Chromecast for a while, but the problem with the Chromecast is it doesn't do Amazon's streaming service, mm-hmm. which I, I do mm-hmm. pay for. Um Whereas a Amazon Fire TV stick does both Netflix and the Amazon streaming service as well, so I've mm. gone with that. So that's kind of cool. I have both of those available to me now. We've started watching a uh, Bosch, uh, which is a detective uh, series on Amazon Prime Instant Video, and I'm enjoying okay. that. It's really cool. It's kind of like um, I almost want to say like a modern day Dirty Harry. Uh, okay, kind of. He's that kind of character, you know. He's um mm-hmm. really ethically. In terms of the law, he seems ethically uh, the right way, but he'll kind of bend the rules a little bit to do this, that, and the other. Or hmm. so that's really cool. And yeah, I'm, we're up to date on Game of Thrones as well. Uh, I think we, uh, I think we get it the day after you get it, but uh, still, uh, still good enough for us. Nice. Yeah, we we ended up watching it Sunday night, so mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly when it becomes available for us. But whenever it was that we finally got Luke down for bed, I went down and turned it on, and it's one of those nights where it was like, if it's there when we turn it on, great. If not, we're gonna watch it tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, we we didn't want to sit there, so I, I turned it on. It's like, yeah, it's there. Yeah. So we ended up watching. It was pretty fun. Cool. Um, we've also been watching Daredevil. Uh, have you watched Daredevil on Netflix yet? No, we um we stopped. We were gonna put it on, but uh. We figured we'd try and finish one of our other series first. Uh, uh, 
I want to finish uh, Mad Men first, I think, and then uh, then we'll move on to something okay. new. Okay. Uh, did you watch yeah. Breaking Bad? Um, no, I, I, and I keep hearing good things about that. Beck yeah. keeps wanting to find something new to watch because she's gone through another one of the series that she went to went through before. Yeah. And uh, I threw Breaking Bad out there, but I don't know if that's one that she'd want to watch by herself. Not that it's would be too too horrible, but I, I might actually be annoyed. Yeah, <laughs> that I wouldn't be be watching it with her. So well, I, I, I'll save it for the next episode because I've got we're running quite late and I've got quite a lot to say on it. Uh, I think my views are slightly different from most people, so it might be a, an interesting perspective for you. So. Okay, nice, cool. Yeah, this looks like uh, well, we we first started this episode, we're like, well, we don't have anything specific to talk about. Yeah. So same as usual. You know, same as usual, and sure enough, uh, we we went and ran it almost two hours. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. And uh, I don't know if, if it's going to be noisy or not, but for the last half an hour, Luke and Beck have been down here. Uh, they'd been upstairs for a little while, but Beck's down here painting and Luke's over coloring. So yeah, no, it's been kind of it's what's that? Being very quiet. Ah, nice. Yeah, yeah. So Luke's got Luke's got his headphones on. This is actually something new that I haven't seen him do. So I think he's I think he has octonauts on. But he's only listening to it oh, yeah. and while he colors. So I've never seen him do that before. But anyway, it's been kind of fun. So Beck's over painting, Luke's coloring, and I'm, I'm chatting with you. <laughs> cool. Well, give my best to them both, and uh, I better get off. All right, sounds good. I guess we'll call this one a wrap. You've been listening to that podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox like the music you can thank gorillo for allowing us to sample the track dust kingdom for our intro and outro you can find dust kingdom and other tracks by gorillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled g-r-i-l-l-o 